Lord, we just welcome you here tonight. We've come here tonight. We've gathered here tonight. All sorts of different circumstances and life situations and uh, places in work and in relationships that we've come from. Uh, Lord, but we pray that you just gather us together uh, under the headship of your son. We're here to worship him tonight. We're here to learn from him. Jesus, you are our way. You are our truth. You are our life. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, pour out just the oil of your spirit upon us as we gather as your body, that you'd fill us with your presence, that you'd fill us with your power, that you'd equip us with everything we need to be equipped with to fulfill your mission and your will for us in our life. I, I just pray tonight for everybody who's here, just for a deep knowledge in their hearts, in our hearts, in each heart tonight. Deep knowledge in our hearts of your love, the love that you have for us, that our identity would be in that. Lord, I pray that you would open up everybody's mind here tonight to know the plans that you have for them in their life, what your will is. I pray that you would reveal that to them, your purposes. And Lord, I pray just for an outpouring of gifts of the Holy Spirit upon every person here tonight. The gifts that they need to fulfill the mission that you have for them in their life. I pray, Lord, that the gifts of the Spirit would be poured out as we gather, as we come, to, come together tonight. We pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. To temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. <laughs> Good to be with you guys. It's good to see you. Um, we just finished up a course on Christian personal relationships, which is our last six courses. If you missed any of those, I think they're, they're online uh, and you can get access to them. So please listen to them. And we're starting this foundations course and the foundations course really starts with discipleship. Um, <clears throat> If you are a volunteer, I'm going to stand up. I hate this mic. It, you can't like rotate this. It's like electric taped right around here. Sorry, I, I don't hate the mic. I actually hate the microphone stand. And hate's a little bit of a strong, that might be an overstatement. Yeah. If you are um, a volunteer and you participate as a volunteer in one of the ministries or outreaches like SPO or in the community, you're serving in children's ministry or on the worship team or somewhere in some parish or church you're volunteering. Uh, I want to, I think that's great. <laughs> and I'm thankful, SPO's thankful, the Heart of the Redeemer's thankful, the church is thankful for your service. 
But I'm, I got to say this. <laughs> I'm deeply convinced if you look at the scripture and if you look at the teaching of the church that Jesus' teaching and Jesus' expectation is this. <laughs> There is no such thing as a volunteer in the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a volunteer in the body of Christ. Now, I'm, I'm using the word volunteer this way. A volunteer is somebody who steps out of their regular life and their regular work to offer some period of time in service and volunteerism in some perfunctory way for a set of time for free and then steps back in to their regular work in their regular life. <laughs> but everyone who is a member of the body of Christ is called to mission and is called to ministry. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 863, just look it up here, says this, I'm, I'm gonna, this is all within 863, but I'll skip a couple places in that paragraph. It says this, the whole church, <laughs> the whole church is apostolic in that she is sent out into the whole world. And all the members of the church share in this ministry through various ways. The Christian vocation, who's called to the... We're all called here to the Christian vocation, right? The Christian vocation is of its nature a vocation to the apostolate as well. God's ministry, God's mission is not just for paid or ordained professionals. No one, not one of us, is just a recipient of God's grace. But rather, we're all called to be an instrument of that grace to other people. You know, in the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. This means that the Lord is setting up opportunities for you before you even know it to be on mission for him. He has uniquely positioned you in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, with your friends, with your co-workers, in your families. He's uniquely positioned you to be an instrument of his grace and his mission to other people. Every one of us is called to be an instrument of God's grace. 
And each of us has been granted grace, real grace, to do that. And we can tap into this grace more and more and more. So you don't just step out of your life and give a little bit of your time to God's mission and then you step back into your life. That's not your, that's not your vocation. If you are a child of God, your life is God's mission. It's good, huh? And here's the deal. Every aspect, this is, this, I mean, that's kind of, it can be a little bit of a change of perspective, but every aspect of our existence is human beings. Every aspect of human existence is an opportunity for ministry and God's mission. I mean, you don't have to just like get up in front of everybody and teach, but you know what I'm saying? Every aspect of people's life is an opportunity for his ministry to begin to take place. Like this scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 12. Put on then, Paul's talking. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's a long scripture there, huh? But think about what's being said here. By Paul. First of all, who's Paul talking to? Yeah, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the Colossians. Is he's not just addressing the elders in that community or the pastors in that community. He's addressing the entire community. Okay? So every member of the church. So he's talking here for, these words can be applied to every member of every church that's ever existed. <laughs> and what's he, what's he saying? First he's, call, he's saying, let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. Let our identity, let's live in the identity and in the peace and in the rest of his grace, which is Jesus let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let, and then it says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. <laughs> let his words and his teaching and his truth 
dwell in you richly. So we should be resting and taking our identity in Christ and we should know what the message and the truth is of who Jesus is. Our identity comes from letting his peace reign in our hearts and his message dwell in and among us. So he says, let the message dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish. (laughs) What? Who is he talking about doing teaching and admonishing? Everybody. Every member of the body of Christ, not just the pastor or the priest or the religion teacher or the paid church staff, every one of you is called to teaching. This is who Paul is talking to. He's not just talking to the pastors or the bishops or the real key leaders. He's talking to every member of the body. And teaching in its broadest sense (laughs) is helping another person look at life with God's perspective. All of us have this responsibility. And we have a relationship with a child or a young person or a friend or a coworker or a family member or a neighbor. And we're called to come alongside that person and begin to help them see life from God's perspective. Admonish. That's a harder word, right? <laughs> Man. I, I feel like I'm just the bearer of bad news. I, I don't mean to be. I mean, this is actually a pretty high calling, you know what I mean? But the Word of God is what the Word of God is, right? <laughs> Admonish, I think, in the broadest sense, means to help another person look at themselves through God's eyes. So typically when we think or when I think of teaching and admonishing, what do you think of? You know, you think of your, your religious education teacher or your, you know, confirmation teacher or the, the priest. But Paul is saying is this is the call of everyone, not just a select few. And all of us have people in our life who need help to look at themselves through God's eyes. And they need the help of somebody who's already seen themselves through God's eyes to help see themselves through God's eyes. And to look at the circumstances of their life from God's perspective, who need to see themselves in God's plan. And God has designed his body Not just so that a few people are mobilized for ministry while the rest of us are just recipients of God's grace. This is not an ecclesiastical target. 
where you go to get some good stuff. The church is meant to be an organic, active, committed, ministering community where somehow, someway, everyone is involved in the kingdom ministry and mission. Everyone. Maybe that is as a mom working with a difficult child at home. Maybe it's as um, a neighbor where we're called to bring God's presence to those around us. Maybe it's as a coworker investing in relationships with your team at work to help bring a godly perspective into that environment. Maybe it's as a husband or as a wife. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's in a men's ministry. Maybe it's in a women's ministry. Maybe it's in children's ministry. Whatever it is, somehow, someway, every one of us is called to that. There's a sacramental basis for this call. I'm going to talk about two. First, when were we granted the grace to become partakers of the mission of God? Baptism. And then related to baptism is confirmation, which confirmation... I don't know how it does it, but it matures the graces of baptism. The catechism, I'd look it up, but I have them already printed. This is number 1268. It says this, By baptism, they share in the priesthood of Christ, in his prophetic and royal mission. See, you guys, you can feel it. You know why you can feel it? Because it's in you now. You're baptized. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's just calling it out. They are, and he quotes Peter, the catechism does, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called them out of darkness into marvelous light. Catechism number 1270 says, Reborn as sons of God, the baptized must profess before men the faith they have received from God through the church and participate in the apostolic and missionary activity of the people of God. Number 1273, the baptismal seal enables and commits Christians to serve God by vital participation in the holy liturgy and to exercise their baptismal priesthood by the witness of holy lives and practical charity. Okay, so there's the baptism. Let's read about the effects of confirmation. From this fact, confirmation, this is 1303, confirmation brings an increase and deepening of baptismal grace. Now, if you've been confirmed, who's been baptized? 
And most of us have been confirmed. I'm hoping almost all of us. How those graces from the time you've been baptized to today, are they, are they worn out? It's like an old car. I mean, it just doesn't, it's like got 300,000 miles on it. They just don't operate the same. No. Those graces are as fresh today as on the day of your baptism. Amen, Father? Amen, man. So confirmation roots us more deeply in the divine filiation, fatherhood of God, which makes us cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to skip some of these. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us, and it gives us, this is the last thing the Catechism mentions, it gives us a special strength, special Catechism actually says special. Gives you a special strength. It's very special. (laughs) Of the Holy Spirit. You get a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly, and never to be ashamed of the cross. Here's what St. Ambrose says. St. Ambrose, he's the guy, he, he converted St. Augustine. He's a, he's a big deal. Recall then that you have received the spiritual seal, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of right judgment and courage, the spirit of knowledge and reverence, the spirit of holy fear and God's presence. Guard what you have received. God the Father has marked you with his sign. God, I can almost, he's, just, he's talking to us right now. Christ the Lord has confirmed you and has placed his pledge, the Spirit, in your hearts. God, wouldn't he have been a great confirmation teacher? St. Thomas Aquinas says this, just so you guys, I'm not trying to shame you, but I just want to read what St. Thomas Aquinas says. Age of the body does not determine age of the soul. Even in childhood, man can attain spiritual maturity. As the Book of Wisdom says, for old age is not honored for length of time or measured by number of years. Many children, through the strength of the Holy Spirit that they have received, have bravely fought for Christ to the point of shedding of their own blood. (laughs) We stand, we stand in the feet of giants as Catholics, as Christians. So just in other words here, guys, you have a mission and you have a role in the body of Christ to be an instrument of grace to other people. This is serious role. This is the heart of the call in baptism and confirmation. And Scripture says, Paul says, by teaching and admonishing. So somehow, some way, God has specifically called you and especially gifted you to do his mission. God has not called you to this mission without giving you the equipment that you need in order to fulfill the ministry that he has for you to do. Excuse me. 
He's not calling you to do something that he hasn't first given you the grace to do. Remember your baptism and confirmation. If there's a Red Sea in front of you, he's going to build a bridge. He's going to send a boat. He's going to give you the ability to swim. He's going to part the waters. It's going to happen. So be encouraged. You are a minister of God's grace. You are a participant in his mission. And it might not be now or ever as a full-time paid professional. But your role in this ministry is important. It's vital in the building of God's kingdom. You are a participant in God's mission, an instrument of his grace. You are a minister of God. Why don't we break here for like 10 minutes? Two questions and just gather with the people, three or four people around you. Question one, you might want to write these down. I can say them more, but there's only, well, there's kind of three. How have you moved from being a recipient of God's grace to being a participant in God's kingdom? How have you moved from being a recipient of God's grace to a participant in God's kingdom? And second question, who are you helping to see life through the lens of God's truth? Who are you helping to do that? And how are you doing that? Ten minutes? Break into groups of three, four tops right now, and then we'll come back. I have some more things to say, but I want to give us some opportunity to discuss this because what I'm about to say is completely... It's a little different than what I've just been saying. Okay. All right. Why don't we uh, gather back up? We have like two talks and two discussions tonight. This will be short. Okay, so do you believe you're called? You believe you're called to this? You've been baptized. You are now you're a soldier in the army of the Lord. What's that song? That song. Um, There's the soldier in the army of the Lord, but the one we sing. There is an army rising up. What is that? What is that song? Is that from? Break every chain. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if if you are going to be part and take up the call into God's disciple-making mission, <laughs> if you're going to do that, it is absolutely essential that you know the gospel. 
absolutely essential. And sometimes we have a problem because oftentimes we have a good understanding of what I'm going to call the gospel past. What Jesus has done for us through the cross in saving us from sin, in showing us his love, in making us a member of his body, a child of God. See what love the Father has bestowed on you that you might be called children of God, yet so you are. We have a good understanding of what he's done by redeeming us by his blood, restoring us into relationship with himself and the Father and the Spirit. That we get full access to this through repentance and turning away from sin and turning toward Christ and being baptized and confirmed and received into the church and becoming a member of that. And we also, I think, have a good understanding of what I'm going to call the gospel future, the destination to where we're going, where one day he's going to wipe away every tear. We're going to get our bodies back in like glorified form. It's going to be fun, right? We're going to live with it. There's going to be a big hugging day when we get our bodies back. Hug day. That's just my line. <laughs> I didn't, I've never said that. That's the Nick Red line. And we're going to spend eternity in this glorious union with one another and with the Lord. However, sometimes we have less of an understanding of how the good news of the work that Jesus has done for us applies in our everyday life, in the everyday personal circumstances that we are facing. There is a gap between what God has done for us on the cross, what he's going to do for us when we come to heaven, and that gap is where we live every day. We can be struggling in our family or in our marriage or with our finances or in our work or with a personal relationship. We can be struggling in the area of sexuality in our life. And our understanding of the good news does not address the here and now of my life. And we look to other things and to other places in order to find solutions for those things. And I'm not saying that it's bad to, to turn every rock. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't just die for our past to redeem us in some distant point in the future. But he also died for the personal circumstances that you are facing right now in your life. He died for that mess in a marriage, for the fears that we're dealing with in life, for the discouragement that we're facing, for that tough moment of temptation and financial stress. He died for that. 
First Peter chapter one, chapter yeah, Second Peter chapter one, verse three says this: His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nation. I want to focus on this. His divine power has granted to us all things. His divine power has given to us everything that we need for a godly life. This is like, it's like a perfect participle. What's the, what's the, is anybody an English teacher? No. Okay, good. I can just say that then. And, but what it, in, it does is it indicates that there's an action that has taken place in the past that is effective from that point through every point until we come into union with him in heaven. He has given to us everything that we need for godly living. Not just for living in the future, but everything we need for a godly life from the time that you have come to know Jesus from the time of your baptism to the time that you go home to be with him forever. Sometimes I know that I come to celebrate the good news on Sunday morning at Mass or here with you with the fellowship that we have and to praise God and to really celebrate the good news of what God has done for me. But in the issues of my everyday life, I can go elsewhere looking for answers. God really wants you to hear this point right here. You hear that? (laughs) Jesus died for everything that you will face in your everyday life. I was listening to a Protestant pastor, Paul Tripp, some of you might hear, he's got a lot of stuff on children's, raising children, it's very good. But he, ta- he calls this the nowism of the gospel. <laughs> he says, and I believe he's onto something here, that we have to come to believe in the nowism of the good news. The right here, right now, what Jesus has done makes a difference. In other words, let's think about it this way. What is the work of Jesus for little children as they face the life that little children have to face? What is the work of Jesus for a teenager who's trying to find their identity and their role and they're going out into a culture that is dead set against the Lord and they're trying to figure things out? What is the work of Jesus for that teenager? What is the work of Jesus for that married couple? That's realizing that the dream is shattered 
And it's a lot tougher than they thought it ever would be. What is the good news for them then? For the elderly person who's feeling the effect of age and oldness in their body, or the person who's struggling with an illness and they are much too young to be facing such a serious illness and serious prognosis in their life. What is the work of Jesus for them? What's the work of Jesus for the person who doesn't want to be fearful, but they're fearful? What's the work of Jesus by some, for someone who's eaten by anxiety and does not want to be? For the person who's struggling and not very well with sexual temptation in their life, what is the work of Jesus for them? And the answer, at least from Peter, from Jesus, has God given us enough? The answer from Peter is a resounding, yes, he has. He's given us everything that we need for a godly life. There's a sense that every aspect of mission and ministry that you guys are called to, <laughs> no matter where it's done or who it's done by or who it's done to, is gospel ministry. It's the good news, the beauty, the power. What, the thing that we have to offer, guys, is the beauty, the power, the sufficiency of what Christ has done on the cross for people. That divine power which flows from the cross through the whole Paschal mystery, through the Spirit, is enough and it has been given to you. So that every aspect and circumstance and difficulty we're facing in our human experience, God is pouring out his grace, he's pouring out his power into that situation. So that married couple that brings their broken relationship to Christ, he can redeem that. That teenager that's struggling to find their identity, he can reveal that to them. That fearful person who's struggling with fear and does not want to, he can overcome it and be with them. That person ridden with anxiety, he can bring peace into that. That financial crisis where there's no hope and it feels totally desperate, he can save it. That person struggling with sexual temptation, he can change that. Everybody's done. I'll just finish with this. We should talk about this, maybe in our groups. But our main message, as you go out as a disciple and a missionary for the Lord, this is your call, is not just the gospel for the past for people, and it's not just the gospel for the future for people, but it's the good news of Jesus that can come right into their place and where they are in their life. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to pray.